Hey everyone, welcome back to the Manual Focus Podcast. My name is Michael Amsel. I am the host of this show. And in this week's episode, I had the pleasure to interview Austin Black. Austin is a fellow YouTuber in the filmmaking and camera niche, or niche, or whatever you want to call it. And uh, he has an awesome channel. And he has recently surpassed 12,000 subscribers and is continuing to grow that side of his business. And he also is a full-time freelancer with his wife. In this episode, we talk about freelance, we talk about YouTube, and we actually talk quite a bit about gear towards the end. But before we get into the actual episode, I just wanted to say to everybody who is supporting this podcast, supporting me and what I'm doing, I just want to say thank you so much. I've been absolutely blown away with the amount of downloads that this podcast has gotten off of the first couple of weeks. And I'm just truly, truly honored for from all the support that you guys have been showing. And uh, yeah, if you want to continue to support this show, if you haven't left a review yet on Apple Podcasts, they've made it incredibly easy for you to do so, either to leave a five-star review or you could even write a little description as well. But truly, from the bottom of my heart, thank you guys so much for all the support. And uh, with all that being said, let's get into the episode. All right. We are here with Austin Black. Dude, welcome to the Manual Focus Podcast. Great to be here. Awesome, man. Well, uh, seriously, really, really appreciate you coming on. Um, yeah, you know, when I when I started, when I came up with like, all right, I'm going to actually run this podcast, like I'm going to do it. Uh, you were certainly one of the first people that I thought of wanting to to get on here, even though we've never met. Um, been been just a huge, um, you know, like admirer, man, of yours from afar, watching your stuff on on YouTube and kind of just following your guys's uh, business as well. And so seriously, man, thank you for for coming on. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, just a little intro to to me. I run a um, filmmaking business here in Texas with my wife, Kristen. Uh, I kind of got started doing YouTube and kind of growing through doing YouTube into it being a full-time job with our business, Ocular Pop. So do a lot of weddings, real estate, pretty much jack of all trades, photo, video, all that stuff. Mm, that's awesome. Um, I'm going to get into kind of your business or have you get into your business and kind of just tell us all about yourself here in a sec. But kind of what I've been doing through the first couple episodes is running a little game that I'm calling shutter speed. So basically what that means, I'm just going to ask you, uh, 10 questions and right. I don't even, I don't even want you to think about it. You just answer you know, option A or option B, kind of do it as quickly as you can. All right. All right, let's go. Shut up. All right. Question number one, film or digital? I'd say digital. Photography or video? Oh, video all the way. Tacos or burritos? Tacos. Easy. Cityscape or landscape? Landscape. <laughs> Shooting or the editing? shooting staying up late or waking up early oh staying up late definitely gimbal or handheld handheld natural light studio light Ooh, that's a tough one uh, i'm gonna say natural light vlogs or reviews vlogs live in a van for a full year in the u.s or live anywhere you want overseas for a full year Probably the overseas, I think. All right. Dude, you did it. Shutter nice. speed done. 10 All questions. Right. Nice. Uh, living overseas, huh? 
Yeah. That'd be your... I think so. I've, you know, I've only left the country twice, once for a destination wedding in uh, Cancun and then going to uh, Paris for our honeymoon. And that was excellent. So yeah, I actually, I think that Paris video might've been one of the first things that I ever saw of yours online. Nice. That's, that's a good, yeah, that's a good one. It's anything before that might've been a little bit cringe. So I'm glad that's a good spot to jump. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, man, I was like seriously impressed. Uh, I don't, I don't know if that was like the first video of yours that I saw, but it was definitely like at the beginning. Yeah. And, uh, I remember kind of just like going through your archives that you had and I was like, dang, like this, this, wherever you guys are at looks freaking amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, cool, man. Well, you already kind of got into yourself a little bit, but, um, yeah, who, man, who are you, who are you and your wife, Kristen, and yeah, kind of go maybe a little bit deeper into, uh, what is it, what it is exactly that you guys do together? Yeah. So we, um, you know, we got together in 2016 and back then I had pretty much nothing to start with in terms of a creative background. And, uh, Kristen had her own photography business and she kind of helped me through the initial learning process uh, jumping into that. And, you know, she had been running the business side of it herself as well. So it was really good to kind of grow together. Um, and so in 2017, I started doing YouTube basically just to learn how to do video and, uh, you know, just kind of start the journey off. Um, and then 2018, January of 2018, we started our business ocular pop. Uh, it was a part-time thing for 2018 and 2019, 2020 was the first year that we were both full-time doing the business. Uh, and then obviously, you know, we had the global pandemic. So it was a really interesting year to, you know, have that be the first year of being full-time doing it. Um, but yeah, you know, we're just all about growing, continuing the journey, um, you know, still learning. That's uh, that I did not know that about you guys. So Kristen was actually kind of running things before you came along then. Yes. Yeah. She did a lot of uh, portrait photography, a lot of like seniors and family type stuff. Um, She hadn't really done any uh, weddings at that point yet. So that's something we kind of both started on together. And now that's, you know, one of the biggest parts of what we do. And was she doing video before or just photo? Just photo, just photo. So I don't really know. I mean, I guess video became more of an interest. I mean, we had AV classes together in high school and then, you know, watching stuff on YouTube like Casey Neistat back in like 2016, you know, I'm sure a lot of people were inspired to start doing video around that time. Yeah, yeah, totally. So that's, man, that's really interesting. So are you, you guys are like high school sweethearts then? Yeah. I mean, I guess you could say that, um, we met our sophomore year of high school and, uh, kind of we, you know, went our separate ways at the end of that and then kind of reconnected. Um, and then I was finishing up college at the time, getting a a degree in radio television film. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so for you then, did you like, when was the first time that you actually picked up a camera then? first time I picked up a camera. Do you know, it's funny. I mean, this is going way back. Do you remember those little, uh, they were called like flip cameras. They were like a rectangular camera. This is probably, this is probably like, I don't know, like 12 or 13 years ago. 
I mean, back okay. when cameras weren't the same, but I remember right. buying that at Best Buy, really wanting to make videos with my friends. I was probably in middle school. So that what was probably the very filming? first time. I just want, I filmed like dumb stuff, just riding my bike with my friends. But uh, it was the very first time I picked up a camera. I mean, in a, in a serious sense, probably high school AV classes, but yeah. I had the, no, I mean, the interest that, back then. Right. The flip camera, man, it sounds really familiar, but I like I did not. I wasn't really into anything like honestly, even it, up up to high school. So I can't say for certainty that I that I remember that uh, particular one. But um, it was a funny thing, though, because it was right around like early iPods. So it was really like shaped like an iPod. Like it was clearly oh, okay. trying to capitalize on that type of form factor. Gotcha. Well, they are kind of ahead of their game then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um. No, that's really cool. Yeah, I was just curious because I always love to know kind of what are people's like stories? Like how did you get inspired or, you know, when did you first feel like yeah. that creative itch to be like, all right, I kind of want to do a little something with this. Yeah, definitely. It always impresses me when you see people who at a really young age had have this like archive of videos that they were making when they were like 13 years old. I don't quite have that, but that's always gotcha. pretty impressive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, well, let's let's talk a little bit more about your business, Ocular Pop, which, by the way, I think is like the coolest name out there right now. Where did you guys come up with that name? So <laughs> the name, it's funny. The name was like one of the most stressful parts of starting the business because we had no idea. And I remember I was still in college at the time and I would just like during my classes, I just have a notebook, piece of notebook paper. And I'd just be like writing random stuff down until something just sounded right or something clicked. And, uh, I just came up with that and it just kind of clicked. So, yeah, well, it's really interesting because before I even knew your guys' business name, you know, like I said, I kind of found you on YouTube and started going through a bunch of your guys' stuff. Then when I actually saw your name, I was like, oh my gosh, that like, that fits you guys so well, at least from the outside looking in. Um, because I, I would say that I don't know, just your shooting, yeah. your editing style kind of has that very like punchy, like poppy look to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, good. I think that's good to hear. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so you guys shoot, like you said, weddings. I've seen on your website, you've guys got some real estate videos up there. Um, I just watched this epic video that you guys shot. It was that like an Audi R8. Yeah, that was just completely on on a whim just to to test out the new A7S three. Yeah. So well, I mean, yeah, that one, that video is is awesome. Um, well, if you, I know you kind of said you guys are a little bit of a jack of all trades, but is there one uh, particular like industry or whatever that you kind of specialize in more than the others? I would say weddings are definitely the specialty. Um, we are a big part of uh, like Brides of North Texas, which is kind of a local community here. Um, so we shoot probably 20 weddings a year. So weddings alone don't quite, you know, keep the lights on. So we, we right. do other things like real estate and uh, corporate videos. There's a lot of stuff that we don't post that, you know, we're just kind of grinding at. So yeah, got it. Uh, so, and you said you you said that you guys were kind of doing it part time for for two years, basically. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's uh, twenty twenty. What a what an interesting year to actually jump Definitely. in as a full time <laughs> freelancer. Definitely. I you know I remember seeing in January you know this news about 
coronavirus, COVID, yeah. and just kind of thinking like, oh no, like like could 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 all of these events be getting postponed or canceled? Right. And I mean, we were we were very fortunate that you know we've stayed afloat and you know everything's been good, but there was definitely some time where it was you know looking pretty scary. Did you guys have to kind of pivot or adjust anything that you had planned on doing at all? Um, I wouldn't or say... Or was it all pretty smooth sailing for the most part? It was pretty smooth sailing outside of, you know, March and April just being completely... There's nothing on our calendar. Right. And right. that was probably the, the period of time where most people were very afraid to do things. Um, but really, um, really the things like real estate kept us afloat through through everything because that's just like a solid base of work each month that's pretty consistent you know even yeah. if people are postponing well the i guess kind of i don't know if ironic is the right word but kind of the the interesting side of things is like that our industry that we're a part of you know making videos for for other companies and businesses uh that industry kind of exploded during yeah the actual quarantine time because yeah. everyone was like, shoot, we need to make, you know, we need to have some sort of online presence. Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, like a lot of people talk about, you know, what they learned in, uh, in quarantine. I feel like I've learned like a lot about live streaming. I knew almost nothing about live streaming, okay. but we've yeah. gotten a lot of like live streaming type jobs, really like multicam switching and you know, all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Well, so. it looks like you've got like some crazy depth of field on your shit. I know nobody can actually see it who's listening right now, but uh, yeah, whatever you guys are doing looks pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Um, that's really interesting, actually. So uh, for me, like I actually, so I'm not like full time as a freelancer. Uh, it is what I do kind of like on the side along with YouTube as well. But like my full time job is actually working for uh, a production company and well, I guess technically it's a marketing advertising company and we're the production team that puts it all on and whatnot. Right. But I actually got hired like in the middle of lockdown, like stay at home quarantine, just because like the business was growing so fast. Everybody was like, just needed some sort of online presence, online content. Right. Um, did you get a lot of that or some of that other than the live stream stuff? Yeah, I mean, like, that that's the, the thing that's so interesting and it's really encouraging about what we do is just, like, there's never going to be a lack of demand for just content. Like, content is so right. valuable right now. So, I mean, yeah, there's been a lot of just, like, you know, people need, uh, like, for example, we just did a video for, like, a corporate Dr. Pepper video, <laughs> like, just, like, nice. random stuff like that where they're looking yeah. for this, like, digital communication or even, like, digital training that they're going to give to their employees, you know, just a lot of really right. random stuff that you maybe didn't even think that you were going to get before, you know, this whole thing started. Yeah, yeah, that's so cool. Um, so you guys were kind of part-time for about two years. And, you know, I've, I've heard people who were like, yeah, I just jumped into it and now I'm full-time. Uh, I've heard other people who said, you know, it took five plus years mm -hmm. uh i would say two years is maybe you know leaning more towards like the quicker uh transition time uh what did how did you guys see that uh i guess that increase in work or what gave you guys that confidence like okay you know pre-pandemic of course but yeah. 2020 this is going to be our year to kind of make that leap i think i really what it was is i was getting to a point where uh like m what i was doing at my nine to five 
seemed like it was less valuable in terms of income than the work I was doing uh, freelance. And so like, it was just a matter of taking that leap of faith and saying like, okay, I'm going to open up this big massive time and hope that it gets filled up with, you know, these freelance jobs. Uh, and I mean, thankfully it did. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I think that's going to be something that a lot of people are interested in hearing. And it's kind of been somewhat of the theme of, uh, you know, past guests that I've interviewed is talking about uh, just that that moment where it's like, all right, we're in like we we're going all in. We're we're either yeah. quitting our jobs or, you know, we're maybe doing, you know, going part time at what was our full time job. Um, what what would you say if you have you know, not to get too cliche here, but any kind of advice or somebody or or something for somebody who is kind of looking to make that leap or is somebody who's just maybe even beginning to start yeah. as a freelancer? I mean, I would say definitely it's, it's a huge leap of faith, no matter how long you spend, whether that's, you know, two years or five years, like it's, it's always going to feel like a huge, scary jump. And I was really hesitant to do it for a long time. I mean, it's always hard to walk away from guaranteed income to, you know, maybe more seasonal, maybe more inconsistent amounts of income and jobs. Uh, but I mean, very quickly, very quickly, I mean, that time gets filled up. And then in, you know, maybe two, three, four months, you're going to be wondering how you ever had a nine to five beforehand. Yeah. Well, let me ask you, because I think there is and I've, I know I've certainly thought this and I don't know, like I said, I'm not a full-time freelancer, so I'm genuinely asking you. Um, I think some of the appeal or a lot of the appeal to kind of being your own business owner, um, or your own, being your own boss, I guess is, Hey, I don't have to answer to anybody. I kind of just do what it is that I want to do. Is that entirely true? Cause in my mind, in my mind, it's always like, well, maybe you don't answer to a boss, but now your boss is in some ways kind of like your client. I think, you know, it's interesting. I, that's one of the, the, one of the biggest challenges is that you are your own boss. And that means that you have to set your own expectations. So like, that's been one of the most challenging things is one of my flaws, I would say, is that I can be overly optimistic when it comes to expectations of getting certain things done. And uh, it's it becomes very hard to get this work-life balance when you're answering to your own word and your own expectations that you've set for your clients. And, you, you know, you obviously don't want to disappoint them. Right. Yeah. So if, uh, if Kristen kind of started this whole thing and was doing mainly uh, photo, how did you guys get into the filmmaking side of things? So, I mean, we, we did meet in an AV class. So Kristen has always had interest in video, but I would say the transition really did happen because of YouTube and this massive amount of information that was just available for free that people were posting. And I felt like I was just learning at a very accelerated rate, being really interested in the YouTube community, making videos myself. So that's a big reason why I was looking for those opportunities to shoot wedding videos instead of wedding photos or you right. know, pursue video jobs instead of photo jobs. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, and we'll get into YouTube here in, in just a minute, but, uh, kind of want to stay on just your, your business side of things. So, uh, weddings is definitely a pretty common, um, 
entry point, I would say for a lot of people, uh, you know, we definitely shoot our fair share of weddings as mm-hmm. well. And is that something that you guys enjoy doing or is it kind of just a, a launching pad maybe for, for something else down the road or kind of how, how do you guys feel about that? I think for, for us, it's a genuinely enjoyable thing. I, I found, I find a lot of fulfillment out of making a really good wedding film. I mean, because my whole philosophy of being a freelancer is I love that I am involved and in control of so many different parts of the process. And so the reality is like, if I were to work on a bigger project, I'd have to delegate more. And a wedding is something that's just as meaningful to the client as a big budget movie or something, you know, to them, that's such a valuable uh, piece of content. And, um, you know, it's, it's really fulfilling to put those together. So it's definitely a joy for me. I know a lot of people, you know, specifically, you know, older video people would always give a warning of like, never do weddings, never do weddings. Yeah. And I'm sure you've heard it too. Um, But I mean, I also think it's a great, great way for people to get started and learn. I mean, there's so many different types of things that it prepares you for that are, you know, relevant uh, skills for the industry. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, honestly, there, to me, there's nothing more stressful and I don't mean stress as in, um, you know, something that I shy away from, but the fact is you only get one shot, uh, to get your shots at a wedding. You know, there's, there's definitely no, Hey, uh, do you guys mind doing that kiss again one more time? I I was out of focus. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, I mean, no weddings are freaking great. I mean, I would say, uh, I, when I first started doing weddings, I got hired basically contracted out by another wedding company Mm -hmm. and I thought I kind of knew what I was doing before that. But once I actually got around a couple of guys who had been doing this Mm -hmm. for a long time and, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of people out there who think, who think they can make a great wedding film. Uh, but, but obviously you guys would know, uh, once I got around, you know, people like that, I was like, Oh my God, like I have never (laughs) even set my white balance before I've been doing auto white balance my entire life, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, yeah, I, I, I think weddings are definitely, um, they are a great entry point, but I think it's also cool that you guys are super passionate about that. Definitely. One of the, I, you know, before we move on from weddings, one of the, I think skills that I really value that I've learned from shooting weddings specifically is just shooting something that's happening in real time, but thinking about the edit and always kind of Mm. thinking like, how can I put this story together in this really you know, confined, like it's all happening right in front of you. You can't stop things most of the time. So just kind of getting into that way of thinking, I think is really valuable for a lot of other things. Did it take you a little, I would assume it took you a little while to actually get into that mindset though? Definitely, definitely. And yeah, yeah, I mean, there's always, the only way you're going to learn that is to see the consequences of not thinking that way. Mm. So that's why, you know, when people ask about getting into it, I always, you know, I always say you should second shoot or do something for free or, you know, do some kind of mentorship because it does. Yeah. It can be pretty unforgiving in the beginning. Did you guys, uh, did you, when you first started doing like your first ever wedding film, uh, was that like something you guys offered for free or did somebody actually pay you to do that? Somebody paid us but it was like $300. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, pretty, pretty low on the scale. And yeah, I mean, it's something, it was a backyard wedding. So yeah. it's something that, you know, I couldn't even watch back. I would, I would cringe too hard. Yeah. 
watch no, that, that. I mean, I do that. I think that's encouraging for a lot of people to hear like, and, yeah, you know, you kind of hear it more often now than you used to, but, uh, yeah, everybody's like first videos are not good. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and it's funny. Uh, I don't know, like who is Matt? He's, you know, big in the wedding community. Yeah, he does yeah, like yeah. wedding film reviews. And it's always funny, like, cause I was, I had the double whammy of, I was just learning video and also just doing weddings. But, you know, I see some people in that community, they're like, oh, it's my first wedding film, but they're like already skilled videographers. And I'm like right, so jealous right. that, that yeah. they don't have the level of cringe that I had when I was first starting, do, starting doing yeah. weddings. Yeah. No, it's funny you bring that up because I I, uh, I actually saw you get featured on Matt Johnson's YouTube channel. Uh, and it wasn't anything that you posted that was like, hey, I was on, you know, I got featured. I was literally watching one of his videos and then your name came up and I was like, no way. What the heck, man? That's, <laughs> that's crazy. Um, did, did you, honestly, I can't remember what he, what kind of feedback he gave you, but, uh, did you feel like that was kind of a cool learning experience at all? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was a huge honor being on that like list. It was like filmmakers to wedding filmmakers to watch in 2020 right, 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 or something yeah. like that. And I mean, I feel like I was probably the worst one of the ones that were featured, but I mean, it was still an honor to be, to be on it. I think one of the things that really interests interest Matt uh, was that I was doing this dual wielding thing with my A7Threes, where I had That's like right. yeah. yeah yeah yeah. So it was just kind of like an interesting way of shooting, and I think that kind of peaked. Can his you interest. talk about that actually? Because I I've yet to see anybody <laughs> else do this. <laughs> yeah yeah I haven't I haven't done it a lot recently, but um, basically like the premise is I would have my Ronin S with an A7 III with a 24 millimeter lens. And then I would have a another A7 III with a camera strap and a 50. And like I would be shooting the action kind of just like with them side by side and get two angles that I could cut between. And so it was a really effective way to sequence things when I was kind of shooting, you know, solo shooting in that moment. Right. And I didn't have time to maybe put a camera on a tripod and do all this setting up. Yeah, yeah. So when you when you would do that, um what camera I guess would you have your attention on? Mostly the the closer up one. So that yeah, the okay. the the wider one on the Ronin S, I always felt like it's wide and it's on that a gimbal. Sense, yeah. So I could kind of like not let it occupy much space in my mind. Right. So And yeah, I, I now that you're saying all that, it's you know bringing up that memory again. That is crazy, man. <laughs> I remember seeing you See, yeah, seeing you talk about that, I think even in one of your own videos. And uh, I remember kind of just like, huh, let me give that a try. <laughs> and my arm hurt <laughs> so yeah. bad. I was like, this guy must be freaking yoked or something. No, it like, honestly, I feel like the nerves in my forearm, like were suffering from doing it. Like by the yeah. end of the day, like there was some right. serious soreness. Well, the Ronin S is uh, definitely not the lightest gimbal out yeah. there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's hilarious, man. Um. Well, maybe let's transition to the YouTube stuff, unless there's anything else that yeah, you just let's do it. Wanna, okay, um, so you have, you have a YouTube channel. Looking at it right now, uh, not that numbers really mean everything or anything for that matter, but you're sitting just north of twelve thousand subscribers, which is really really cool. Um, did you did you ever get maybe like kind of a a spike or a surge from being uh, featured on Matt's? page oh definitely yeah i mean like a lot okay. of people commenting like oh you know i found you through this um 
the specific wedding film that uh, Matt was looking at is actually posted on my YouTube, and that got a lot of attention from it too. Gotcha. Okay. Nice. Nice. So, totally. I'm looking at uh, just your. I always love looking at people's most you know popular videos because it is <laughs> it it never like it it honestly never ceases to amaze me that so many people's most popular videos have nothing to do with what their channel is currently Absolutely about. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> yeah. So you have a couple of videos about uh, the penny board versus a long board. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or I see. I don't even know what a penny board or a nickel board is, but apparently uh, you've got 350,000 people who are very interested in that. <laughs> so if if anyone in the audience wants to cringe, go go watch those videos because that was literally... When I was first starting out anything, I had no idea of anything what I was doing on YouTube. I didn't even really, I didn't really even have the intention of, you know, doing my YouTube about my filmmaking journey at that point yet. I yeah. was just like literally making videos. Um, so yeah, I leave them up because they have so many views and weirdly right. enough, they still get views. It's um, crazy. But at the same time, I'm very embarrassed of those. <laughs> Do you have those monetized by chance? Uh, I believe so. I well, believe that's good. So. Yeah, just get yeah. a little passive income going, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's yeah, that's hilarious. Uh, so in our in our first episode, I I interviewed this guy Mark Steiner. I don't know if you've seen his videos or, or heard of him. Um, kind of similar range, just just north of you know 10k subs right now. Mm -hmm. Um, and literally his most popular video has something to do with like a like a forty nine dollar longboard that you can buy on Amazon or whatever. <laughs> it's all People about the just, longboards. Yeah. Yeah, I guess, man. It's an um, untapped market. <laughs> kind of going through your stuff here. Oh, okay. Ah, this is the first video I ever saw of yours was the A73 cinema rig. Uh, Dude, yes. this is this is actually an awesome video. Um so let's Sorry, I got distracted there, but let's <laughs> kind of just talk about uh your YouTube channel. Um kind of the current state of things I, I you know you haven't posted in a little while which i mean i have certainly yep gone on my fair share of waves of being consistent and you know taking yeah. some time off and whatnot um but kind of where, where are you at right now with everything I, I would say it's a little bit beyond taking some time off i mean what i'm actually kind of looking at it as a time to reflect and kind of rebrand the way hmm. i'm pursuing youtube um just because in the past it it's been super focused on uh, gear reviews and what gear should you buy and I mean I'm I'm always going to be a gearhead I'm super interested in that stuff but but at the same time it became something that I wasn't as passionate about like I would have companies send me equipment like I I did a slider review mm -hmm. a monitor review and I mean they're products that I really enjoy but I didn't really enjoy making those videos and. Um, that just kind of like left a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth to the way I was doing YouTube in general. So I'm kind of looking to do a little bit of a, a relaunch and maybe making it a little bit more instructional and a little bit more, mm. you know, maybe, maybe kind of similar to a channel like Indie Mogul where it's kind of like helping people out and it's not super focused on the gear, even though that still may play a role in it. Yeah. Um, I want to, talk more about kind of your your rebrand idea here but what about what about these uh these product videos that you got you know products sent to you what about those uh videos or that process did you not like i guess like it sounded great to have equipment 
sent to me. I mean, it was an honor to have somebody reach out to me. Um, but like, I just didn't have a whole lot of inspiration, like for example, to make a review of a monitor, like just kind of like rattling through like how many nits this is, or, you know, does it have false color? Just felt super like it's been done before. And it's like, it's not really super necessary information for anybody. And I was just kind of like making it because they had already sent it to me. Even though, I mean, like I said, I do like the product and like I would recommend it to people. It just, it wasn't the most ex inspiring experience for me. Yeah, no, I, I feel like I totally understand that um, in some way because so this year or last year, I, I so I just made a video um, talking about how much money I made in, on YouTube mm -hmm. in 2020. And obviously part of money, I guess, potential is, you know, partnering up with different sponsors or brands or whatever. Right. Um, and sometimes that is actual money. Sometimes, you know, it's just here, here's a free product, make a video about it. Mm -hmm. um, and I had a few opportunities last year to, uh, to do, to kind of, to do something along those lines. And at first, kind of like you said, I was like, this is awesome. Like yeah. I am finally on the right track. Or, you know, <laughs> you just kind of have those thoughts, right? Yeah. Um, but the more and more that I thought about it, I, you already did more than I, I couldn't even make a video about these, <laughs> uh, these fr from these companies. Cause right. at the end of the day, I was honestly like, ah, I just, I don't necessarily feel super comfortable, like making a video where yeah. it is like in my heart, at least this would clearly be a cash grab. Like mm -hmm. I just, I don't know. There's just something kind of off about that, I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, like I several times kind of checked my inspiration level during the process and I just really, I, you know, I really wasn't crazy about doing it. Um, and you know, kind of felt, I felt specifically bad at one point that I posted back to back videos like that. And I was like, Ooh, that doesn't feel too great. So hmm. that's, that's kind of part of why I, you know, I'm looking to kind of like change things up a little bit um, just kind of like hit more of the fund fundamentals of things that inspire me, things that I'm passionate about, things that I'm going to find a lot more fulfillment out of. Are you thinking maybe doing like some behind the scenes type of stuff on different shoots that you and Kristen are going out and doing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would, that would be really great. I mean, I, I think that there's a lot of insight that I'm looking to kind of give on weddings and real estate, um, in particular, since those are kind of our... Yeah you know, wheelhouse. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, stuff like that. And then also just kind of like advice for people who maybe, you know, they may find themselves at different parts of this journey, whether that's, that that's at the beginning or, you know, somewhere in the middle, just kind of like some of the advice that I might've wished that I had yeah. that's, you know, maybe a little bit beyond just the gear. Yeah, no, I love that, man. Uh, well, one thing that I think something that I'm really just inspired by from, from your channel, from your videos that you've posted, uh, at least in my opinion, I've noticed kind of, a I don't, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a change, but just maybe growth, um, in your own storytelling ability, but, uh, kind of around the time 
that you started with the FX9, mm-hmm. um, I felt like, man, those video, and I'm not even talking about like the the image. I'm just talking about the the way that those videos flowed, the the way you would transition with the music and everything like that. Uh, just really had like a different feel than some of your other videos. Um, am I kind of off or am yeah. I on the right track and saying something no, like that? No, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's funny, like I really have different like seasons to my YouTube, I feel like. And I, like if you go back and look, there are a lot of those shifts and a lot of those little like, oh, like this six month span, these videos are kind of different or like this six month span, like these videos are different. So I feel like that's just part of like the nature of how I approach them is just like, yeah. I'm, I feel like I look to revamp maybe, maybe even more than I should sometimes, but like, it's sure. just kind of like part of my process, I guess. Do you have anybody or any channels that I know you kind of mentioned in Indie Mogul, but do you have any other, uh, either creators or people who aren't even on YouTube, just filmmakers that you're kind of inspired by? Ooh, that's a good one. Or at least maybe that you take inspiration from and somehow, you know, ever, ever so often kind of see that seeping into uh, your own style. You know, what's been giving me the most inspiration lately are a lot of, um, a lot of photographers, um, mm. a lot of photographers on Instagram that, you know, uh, either, you know, are just doing crazy things with colors and lighting and scenes and just the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the set dressing and, you know, the outfits and just like having that extra level of control over what you're doing has been really inspiring. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. So, uh, definitely another theme that I've kind of seen in some of your videos have, have been, um, like the whole vintage lens and even doing some film photography as well. Uh, I've got to imagine that's, when I watch those videos, it looks like you guys are genuinely having fun in, yeah. in those, in those. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those vintage lens videos are literally my favorite videos to make. It's just all about the feasibility of actually finding lenses that are interesting to use that are actually good. Um, so for example, I have one that I haven't made a video on yet, but I've got a Canon FD 85 millimeter F 1.2. Hmm. It's an old L lens. Um, and that lens is just like fantastic. Have you used that lens at all? Like on anything professional or more just like leisurely? I, um, you know, I, I bust it out quite often on, um, wedding films because it has a fantastic flare. It's got a nice, like almost bubble looking lens flare. That's really unique. That's awesome. Yeah, Yeah. man. I haven't had a ton of experience uh, shooting on vintage lenses at all, but man, those videos that you've put out have like really been like, oh, I want to, I want to go out and yeah. to like a pawn shop or something and see if anybody just has one, you know? Anytime I'm at an antique store, I'm always looking and it's very rare to actually find anything good. But when you do, yeah. it's like, I, yeah. Jackpot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, when I look at some of your videos, well, really, I, I would say all of your videos, man. Um, you have a very unique, distinct look to, uh, not only the way you guys color grade or the way you color grade, Mm -hmm. but even just, I mean, you know, depth of field is so common, but even the way that you use it in your videos, um, where does that come from? Where, where does your, where does your color, if you, you know, 
graduated from YouTube University. Where where did your expertise really in, in color grading come from? So I'm really inspired currently. And, it, you know, a lot of it has to do with, like, like I mentioned, I do have a tendency to just like revamp and just try and do something that I haven't done before. And so I guess that could be part of where, you know, some of the, the angles or depth of field or different types of shots come from. Cause I am like, I'm always trying to do something a little bit different, but color grading specifically, I do also kind of go through seasons, but yeah. um, recently there's a um, filmmaker named Joel Famularo. He's Australian and he owns an Ari Amira. And he has this project where he has made these LUTs that uh, basically match the look of these Sony cameras to the look of the Ari. And so okay. those have been like really inspiring just to, to even like draw from and kind of go in a different direction with. But it's just really cool to kind of, you know, work with something that lines up pretty well with a camera of that caliber. Right. Yeah, I'll have to look him up because, uh, I mean, yeah, anytime you can get a, get the look of an Ari, that's uh, yeah. that's never a bad thing. Definitely, definitely. Um, so you've taken, so your last video that you posted was was four months ago. Uh, do you, and kind of in the theme of possibly doing a rebrand or at least just reconsidering the type of videos that you make in the future, uh, do you have any sort of kind of goal or plan or expectation you're putting on yourself to when you kind of want to get back into things? The, the big thing is, I mean, to be completely honest, it's like it's working through the fall backlog of editing. Yeah. I mean, that, that can like every year, it's just like a mountain that I just have to get over usually in January, but this, this year it's bleeding into February. So I, I know it's coming soon, but like, I'm just kind of like, you know, getting a few projects sent off from the end of last year. Yeah. No, and that, yeah, that makes a ton of sense. Uh, one thing that I'm really, I, I'm, I'm definitely like kind of relating to you on, on a similar level of wanting to change up the type of videos that you make because there, there is definitely part of me that's like, uh, you know, do I really want to make another tutorial? Like mm -hmm. that's, that's not necessarily what inspires me, but I yeah. know that kind of making this searchable content is kind of like the right quote unquote, the right thing to do, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Um, but at the same time, when your full-time job, whether it's working for somebody else or running your own business, when your full-time job is making videos and not necessarily always making videos that are totally 100% your own vision with all the creative flexibility to do whatever you want, to go in your free time and make even more videos that don't incredibly inspire you a whole lot uh, can get just crazy draining and and unmotivating to yeah. be honest. And so uh, I I completely relate and understand kind of where you're coming from yeah. in terms of wanting to make more videos, but uh, or different different types of videos. Um, the videos that you have made though, whether it's kind of gear reviews or just talking about you know, your camera, how to set it up, the type of rig to run on it, all that stuff. Uh, was, were the, any of those videos ever strategic, if that makes sense? Definitely. I mean, I would definitely like when something did well, I would lean into it pretty hard. Like I would say one of the biggest successful seasons of my channel was right when the Mavic Pro 2 came out. And so I leaned very hard <laughs> into making content about the, the Mavic Pro 2. So 
definitely when something works, I've been trying to like, okay, like let me make some more videos that are, yeah. that are you know, of a no, similar that's smart. Vein. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I, I see you've never, well, I shouldn't say never, but like tutorials weren't, haven't really been like a huge, huge part um, of your channel. Is, is that, has that ever been anything that's interested you at all? You know, I don't think that, I don't know how much it's my skill set to guide somebody through certain things that would be like, you know, like how to, like the Justin O'D show type of thing, like how to do this in yeah. Premiere or how to do that. Like, I don't think that I have a very good ability to, to guide somebody through in a simple, concise, easy to understand way. Um, I feel like I would just get caught in the weeds somewhere and it wouldn't yeah. be as effective <laughs> of a video. Yeah, no, I mean, that makes sense. You gotta, like, gotta know what your, what your strengths are and, yeah. um, yeah, that, no, that makes a lot of sense. So, um, I'm going to transition now, man, into some gear. We've, you've, you've mentioned that you're a huge gearhead. Oh, yeah. Uh, I as well also just <laughs> love gear and sometimes almost too much where it's like, all right, let's actually yes. make something instead of just talking about it. But, um, the FX nine, that is, that is something that I would say is at least a little bit unique to your channel. Yeah. Um, there's not a ton of people out there who are using the FX nine. It's a, uh, yeah, it's an interesting camera. It was released at a weird time and yeah. you know, a lot of weird things were released after the fact that kind of made a lot of people shy away from it. So I yeah. would say, yeah, it is pretty unique. Well, you mentioned something before we actually hit record. <laughs> uh, and so maybe get into that a little bit. Yeah. So I, two days ago, shipped it off to sell it. <laughs> so it's funny because the a7s3 came out and a lot of people asked me am i considering selling the fx9 and my answer was a, a firm no um and then the fx6 came out uh and people asked yeah. the same thing and the answer was still a firm no but the a1 was just announced and that was the camera that actually tempted me to move on from the fx9 um really yes yes um, the big thing with that is it's a high resolution sensor that shoots very, very good super 35 video along with full frame 8k photography, you know, all that stuff. But the right. big, the big thing with the a seven S three and the FX six that I couldn't quite get over is the low resolution. Since I already do have an a seven S three body, I need a higher resolution uh, sensor to pair with it that can do things like super 35 mode. Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. Um, so what was, kind? Of, so are you planning on getting the, the A1 then? I've got it pre-ordered, yep. Nice, nice, okay. So did, did your decision to sell the FX9 have anything to do with wanting to kind of stick around um, in the mirrorless body? form factor versus like the cinema camera style? It, it wasn't initially, the The initial thought was, so we do, we're hybrid shooters, we do photo and video. I mean, primarily video, but also a fair amount of photos. So at some point we were going to have to upgrade our A7 III body to a better photography camera. So the A1 looked to be an opportunity to significantly upgrade our photography game. And then also, upgrade our video. I mean, 8K video is something that, you know, no camera that Sony has made has been able to do. Um, and then, yeah, also having that hybrid body and being able to be a little bit more mobile and travel with a full production setup, um, 
was really enticing too. Now with your, with your business, um, did you get any more attention or any different type of client that you might not have gotten had you not had the FX9? See, that was, that was one of the factors that led us to buy the FX9, but mm. one of the roadblocks was just the, um, the pandemic and like not necessarily being able to pursue bigger projects. It was more, you know, corporate type real estate, you know, that kind of niche, which didn't necessarily require an FX9. Um, I, I do think it definitely helped the perception angle for, for a few shoots. I mean, you know, an example was that uh, Dr. Pepper corporate video. Um, I don't know if they would have hired us if we were just shooting with hybrid cameras. I think right. they appreciated having that bigger production body. Yeah, 100%. We, so with our, the media company that I work for, we just got the FX9 uh, maybe a couple of months ago. And right away... <laughs> you know, kind of offering a different level package to certain mm -hmm. clients who probably won't even be able to ever tell the difference. But in their yeah. mind, they're like, oh, this is a Hollywood camera. Yeah. Oh, this is a cinema camera. Yeah. I want, you know, I want the best for sure. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but kind of maybe talk about your experience. So, had you ever used a cinema camera before the FX9? I've used cinema cameras like an Ursa Mini, uh, C300, okay. C100. Yeah. So I mean, I had some experience with that type of camera. I really did love the FX9 though. From the moment I got it, um, whether it was the variable ND or um, it was, you know, the the professional audio system. I mean, I really did love that type of body. But ultimately, it just kind of it kind of became more and more apparent that it wasn't bringing us enough value to keep around when something like the a1 could be a really exciting you know new thing for us yeah well i'll tell you man i i've heard it so many times people talk about the variable or the you know the internal and yes. the that yes. um cinema cameras have and i always heard like okay yeah like i i can see how that would be cool but i don't understand why everyone always has to bring that up uh until you actually have it and are using it and see the enormous benefit yes. of not having to have a filter uh you know screwed on to your lens i can't even really describe how amazing it is to have internal yeah. nds on a camera man it's such I a was, game changer yeah i was j literally before this before this interview i was out shooting some real estate at you know for uh for freelance and I don't own the FX9 personally. So I was just using my a7 III and it was, you know, pretty sunny day out today. So I was like, Oh my God. And I didn't, I, I just usually don't bring uh variable NDs mm -hmm. with me because they're just honestly kind of a pain to deal with. So, yeah. uh, but when I went outside, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I'm at like F 18 <laughs> right now, man. Just like not exactly the look I'm going for. Yeah. Well, and like you can get cool shots where you're going from outdoors to indoors. You put it in auto in D and it'll yeah. smoothly transition that over from outside to inside right. stuff like that is, I mean, it's, it really is a game changer and it's like, it's going to be hard to transition out of that level of convenience of like, you can grab this camera body and you can pretty much just shoot anything with it without adding anything to it or, you yeah. know, needing to do anything to rig it out. Um, and also, you know, the dual native ISO kind of adds to that too. Pretty nice. Yeah. Well, 
I have my own, I mean, it sounds like you really enjoyed obviously using the FX9. Um, for me personally, this, the FX9 is the first ever cinema camera, uh, that I've really used. Like I I've shot on the FX5 Mark II a couple of, you know, for like a weekend one mm -hmm. time, didn't use it enough to have much of a, an opinion on it. Um, but the FX9 is really the first video centric cinema camera that I used. And I gotta be honest, man, when you are so, I guess, trained and used, used to the, the way that a, just a hybrid camera, you know, these, these new mirrorless bodies, the way that they yeah. kind of function and work. And even though not everything is set up for video, I just found my, find myself currently just kind of enjoying, honestly, using a mirrorless body more than I enjoy using the FX9, even though obviously yeah. the image is immensely better out of, you know, the big camera. I don't, I don't know. There's just something to kind of being able to throw it on a gimbal if I need to and, and just kind of go, you know? Definitely. There, there are some like images kind of rattling in my head ever since I sold the FX9 of just like conveniences that I'm going to gain back by switching back to mirrorless. I mean, yeah. like when you switch uh, frame rates on the FX9, the camera needs to reboot. Yeah. Uh, like just, there's a lot of things with the FX9 that are slower, uh, even though there are a lot of conveniences as well. I mean, like, I feel like with a mirrorless camera, I'm in such control of it that I can just change any setting so quickly on it. Whereas, right. you know, the, the FX9, there was always a little bit more hesitation, changing things. Um, you know, some parts of the camera were a little bit slower to adjust. Um, and then also, uh, in-body stabilization is is huge. That's huge. And yeah. the form factor of the FX9, I mean, I don't know what your experience was, but it was harder to get stable handheld shots uh, with that form factor than it is with a mirrorless. Yeah, it's it's been harder than I than I anticipated just because a lot of things that I've watched and heard, everyone says, oh, you know, you get this bigger camera. It just naturally like gravity kind of works for your mm -hmm. advantage a lot more um, and you get rid of kind of those micro jitters. But and maybe we just don't have it rigged up the right way with like rails and a V-mount battery right. and stuff like that, which maybe is maybe adds to it a little bit. But yeah, when I use the top handle, I'm actually kind of surprised. I'm like, oh my gosh, like I am not keeping this thing as steady as I like. Yeah. I don't, I'm not able to get that cool handheld look yeah. uh, that I want, you know. I felt the same way and I felt like the clips were at times harder to stabilize in post mm. actually yeah. uh, in addition to that. Um but yeah, I, you know, also when I got the FX9, my thought process was to rig it smaller and get rid of this big arm and mount the handle directly to the body, <laughs> um, yeah. which, you know, I think a lot of FX9 users want to go bigger with the rig, not smaller. Right. Yeah, very true. Yeah. So that could play into it too. Yeah. So you also have the A7S3, correct? Yes. Yeah. Well, do you... Um, you know, at the, at the end of the year, beginning of the year, uh, DP review came out with their, you know, camera or, uh, their, I forget what they call it, but basically the best gear of 2020 mm -hmm. and the A7S3 won, you know, best video camera, of course. Uh, so what, what's your experience with, with that camera so far? It's a beautiful, beautiful camera. Um, I mean, it's, you know, well, uh, documented how good it is in low light how good the 10-bit uh, 4K is. I mean, for us Sony guys, that is such a big deal. <laughs> I know a yeah. lot of people who shoot Panasonic or Canon have had it in the past, but I mean, right. it was 
a huge, huge upgrade, probably bigger than anything else that this camera brought to the table was the 10 bit color. Um, and are, are you shooting mostly in S log three? Yes. Yeah. It's actually finally viable to shoot S log three, um, and a mirrorless body from Sony. I've tried with the a seven three and yeah. I just can't do it. It's tough, man. It's, uh, I just shot an S log two today on the a seven three. Um, which I, I'm hoping it'll turn out, hopefully yeah. it'll turn out good. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it is nowhere near the, the level of, um, yeah, just having, having that, that higher bit rate and everything to be able to push and pull yeah. those colors, man, makes, makes such a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think S log on the a seven three, I mean it, if you nailed it, nailed the settings in camera it looked great yeah. but now yeah. i feel like you have just a bigger latitude of where you can land mm -hmm. with your exposure and have it looking really good so as somebody who in yourself who has come from the a7 III, have a lot of experience with that camera um is the difference big like how big is that difference i would say and I mean, not and sorry i'm not talking about just log just in general with the, with yeah. the a7s3 i would say Yes, it is a big difference, but um, you know, kind of like I, I mentioned earlier, I do like the oversample of the A7 III. Um, that's not to say it necessarily looks better, but I do like um, having the oversampled 4K, having the Super 35 uh, punch in. So I definitely, I, I almost view them as different tools, the A7S and the A7 III. Right. Um, but I mean, they're both really good at what they do. The A7 III being a great a uh, higher resolution hybrid camera and the a7s3 yeah. being that low resolution video workhorse with the low light how nice is that flip screen though it's nice. i'm looking into it right now yeah uh, nice <laughs> it's awesome but i will say you know there are all the the debate has been very very strong i mean especially with the with the new a1 but you know I, doesn't have one yeah i don't mind the tilty screen actually i mean i i love the flippy screen for this camera yep. but i it doesn't upset me at all just to have the tilty screen. Yeah, you know, I I can kind of agree with that. Um, I would like the flippy screen just because it kind of is. I think especially if you're putting it on a gimbal or obviously you're you know using it as a uh, camera to shoot your mm -hmm. YouTube videos or whatever. It is nice to be able to have that monitor to flip out and see yourself. But yeah, I honestly don't film myself in those kind of like. I don't ever vlog, so I don't ever care to know if, right. you know, that, that just doesn't matter to me, but I really do enjoy, especially on a gimbal kind of, it almost has like that external monitor feel to it, um, with a camera that actually flips out. But I'll tell you the thing that matters way more to me, and I haven't used the a7S3 yet, so, uh, can't speak on it, but is having a screen that actually has touch functionality. It's, it's nice. I mean, touch to focus is the primary, primary, yeah. uh, use for it for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I will say I, I'm always disappointed with touch screens on cameras and maybe that's a Sony thing specifically. Yeah. I just feel like compared to how tactile your phone is, it just never feels the same on a camera. Right. Yeah, no, it, it really is completely different. Um, although I will say, so I've had definitely quite a lot of experience with Canon cameras mm -hmm. and their touch screen is so, it just makes sense. It's yeah. it's not as good as an iPhone, but it, it certainly like, it feels like anything you want or need to do, you can absolutely do it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, the touch to focus on the a7 III 
is absolutely <laughs> atrocious and I don't understand yeah. it whatsoever. I turn um, it off most of the time on the a7 III actually. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, I, so, sometimes I'll just use it to grab focus and then switch over to manual, you know, but yeah. um, gosh, I, I hate it so much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would say, I mean, the, the, you know, it's funny, like I don't think I use it very often at all on the a7S III just because I've okay. almost trained yeah. myself not to because right. on the a7 III, I would do it accidentally all the time and it would irritate me if I accidentally, you know, had it doing motion tracking on an object in the background or something. Yep. 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 So. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, so kind of switching away from cameras, uh, I don't, I guess I don't know the answer to this. Are you a Mac user? Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes. And are you, what are you currently working on? What's your, what's your station? So I need an upgrade, uh, but I'm on a, I think late 2017 MacBook pro, uh, I'm going to pull up my system info here. It but not is. a, not an iMac, not a desktop. So I have an older iMac that actually recently has been having some issues that I'm working through and uh-huh. it kind of has me almost considering a switch to PC in some capacity yeah. just because of the price. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah. Well, obviously I'm sure you know all about the, the new M one, uh, chip from, from Apple in all their new, um, their new processors and everything like that. But so I recently switched over to PC. Um, I was a Mac user for forever and I don't know. I, I love it. I absolutely, I game on it as well, yeah. but that's definitely not the main reason. Um, I just love the ability to kind of do whatever I want, build it. However I right. feel I need to, um, for a really reasonable price. But with that being said, you know, we use iPhones, uh, iPads, Apple. I don't have an Apple watch, but my wife hasn't, you know, everything yeah. basically that we own is, Apple and I really miss that ability to just like airdrop something yes. to my phone or you know just kind of having that that integration like that. Yeah. Um but so if you are kind of in the need for an upgrade are you probably leaning on sticking with Mac and getting one of their new either laptops or uh desktops that they have? I'm leaning in that direction, but yeah. I you know every time I hear somebody tell me I built a computer for $1000 and it plays back video real time so smoothly, yeah. it it tempts me to be honest, it really does. Yeah. Well, and are you a Premiere user? Yes. Yes. Okay. I would tell you this, um for me probably the last year or so that I was using a Mac, maybe last year and a half I had made the switch over to Final Cut Pro mm-hmm. and w- was a complete game changer for me in terms of just overall uh, editing experience. I mean, it took a little bit of time to learn it, uh, to get used to the whole magnetic timeline and mm-hmm. everything like that. But once you actually, once I actually kind of Im- immersed myself in it and made the commitment, all right, this is what I'm going to use from here on out. And, you know, you start figuring out all your hotkeys and, and yeah. different things and shortcuts and everything like that. Uh, I was using a refurbished 2016 macbook pro nothing special i can't remember the processor but it only had you know 16 gigs of ram really small graphics card Mm -hmm. but i was able to edit any footage that i ever wanted to within final cut pro my export times were crazy fast um putting stabilizer putting you know stabilization on clips was almost instantaneous um 
And I don't know how often you use like speed ramps or whatnot, but the speed ramp tool is just like so nice in Final Cut Pro. Yes. Anyways, that is like my long winded (laughs) um, kind of response in saying that I would say if like the main purpose of your machine is to edit video, uh, if I were using a Mac, I'd 100% be using Final Cut Pro. Wow. That's actually really interesting feedback because nobody has actually told me that because I've told a lot of people, you know, some of the issues that I've had in terms of playback, in terms of Premiere crashing. Um, But I don't think once I've got that advice, so I might Mm. have to try it out, especially since it's just one upfront investment rather than a monthly fee. So nice. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm using Premiere Pro now uh, because I'm back you know, on PC. Right. Um, although I guess I could be using DaVinci Resolve, but I opened it up one time and I was like, eh, I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to learn that right now. But, uh, yeah. So have you ever heard of, uh, Tyler Stallman? Yes. By chance. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So he made a video, I can't remember how far back and it was all about making him making the switch to Final Cut Pro. And I actually DM'd him one time on Instagram and he replied to me and he told me, you know, in one sentence or whatever, he just said 100% recommend Final Cut Pro, like instant difference. And I was wow. like, all right, I'm going to do it. And f- you can do like a 30 day free trial on Final Cut Pro just to kind of give it a, give it a try, see if it's something that you're into. And no, I'm, I'm dead serious. Like your, I think your longevity of your machine will uh, be much, you'll have so much more longevity uh, yeah. and not necessarily that need to continue to upgrade as things start to slow down, you know? That's a very, very enticing proposition. Now, I will say I have been a little bit happier using a proxy workflow. That's that's helped yeah. a lot more, but I think I might try out that 30-day trial. Yeah, well, I'll tell you the things that I'm not the biggest fan of when it came to Final Cut, and that was, I think when you're when you're so used to a, Adobe Premiere, you have so much flexibility. You have so many options. I mean, really, like you can just do whatever you want to do. Not to say you can't do that in Final Cut Pro, but uh, what Final Cut Pro does, like every single Apple product, is they try to optimize everything uh, to what they think works best, right? Mm -hmm. So hence the whole magnetic timeline. In their mind, they're saying, well, if you don't want to have the mag- magnetic timeline, there are workarounds for that, but we think that this is the best way for you to edit kind of a deal. Um, and there's kind of a lot of those features that, again, in Premiere Pro, it's like you actually have to deliberately seek out to have things automated for you. But in mm-hmm. Final Cut, so much of it is. Once you can kind of get around that kind of shift in your thinking, um, you're like, wow. Apple knows everything. <laughs> they're they're correct. This is so much easier. Like I'll tell you, a magnetic t- timeline is so much faster. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just you know I put all my clips there, and then I just press play, and I'm just using my my keyboard to to slice clips. And even you you might not even think this, but even just the ability to not have to press Alt Delete or whatever you know whatever your 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 uh, your hotkey is in yeah. Premiere Pro, but um. Yeah, no, seriously. I mean, like drone footage has always been such a pain to edit in Premiere Pro, but mm-hmm. in Final Cut, it's just, it's, it's like butter. It, it's amazing. Wow. Yeah. Man. All right. I'm telling you, you, you might have moved use, me a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Do you use After Effects at all or anything? Not much. I have a few uh, templates, um, which 
I would really recommend by someone named Ezra Cohen. He makes like fantastic mm. graphical stuff, but I have a few templates of his that I, you know, use to make graphical type things. Um, every now and then I'll do 3D tracking. Uh, right. Yeah. But it's a really narrow uh, frame of using it. Yeah. Well, the reason I ask is because that's kind of the that's the big like attraction to me is not necessarily after effects, but again, it's just kind of back to the point of, yeah, if I really want to, I can, you know, kind of a thing. Whereas in final cut, um, I, I would just personally say like the graphic element of things is much more limited unless you kind of invest into some plugins, which aren't, you know, not a big deal, Yeah, but you know, it's kind of nice to be like, well, if I really want to just, you know, like you said, kind of motion track something, mm-hmm. I just, you know, open up the app or whatever. Whereas Definitely. Um, in Final Cut, I think they have a really good, they have a really good plugin. I mean, like Daniel Schiffer has a ton of cool videos <clears throat> on YouTube talking about Final Cut, but uh, like a plugin is cost like a hundred dollars or yeah. whatever. So anyways, yeah, you do what you want, man. But I'm, <laughs> I'm telling you, you will be blown away by the speed increase. Yeah. 100%. That's well, you know, I'm looking for any way I can play back video smoother and have my machine crash less often. And that sounds like, <laughs> that sounds yeah. like it's a way to, to do that. So yeah. Yeah. 100% man. Uh, well, Hey man, I, I don't think I'm going to take up too much more of your time. Um, but this has been, this has been awesome, man. To, to, well, for one, officially get to, you know, talk to you, yeah. quote unquote, in person. <laughs> um, I would love, man, it would be it'd be so awesome to get Kristen on here. Maybe down the road sometime we'll, we'll get you in your your second appearance. But yeah, definitely. Um, yeah. For everyone who's listening, I will leave Austin's uh, all of his links and everything in the description below. But 100 percent go and check out. Uh, his YouTube channel. If you are a uh, aspiring freelancer or you're already a current business owner, 100% go to their website. Is it just ocularpop.com? That's it. Yep. Yeah. Go to their website. Uh, and I promise you, you will not be disappointed in their work. But Austin, man, thank you seriously so much for, for coming on. And uh, hopefully, man, maybe we'll actually get a hangout in person yeah, one of these days. Yeah, be awesome. Well, thanks. It's an honor to be on with you. All right, guys, thank you so much for tuning in this week to the Manual Focus Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode with Austin. He's really just a great guy. I had an awesome time interviewing him. And if I'm perfectly honest, this is probably my favorite episode so far. So uh, yeah, definitely show him some love. Go hit him up on uh, YouTube, so Instagram, uh, even if you want to check out his work on him and his wife, Kristen's website, ocularpop.com. Uh, Yeah, definitely go out and, and do that. But anyways, appreciate you guys for listening this week and I will catch you next week in the next episode.